I had planned to, the, the theme as you saw on the screen was access, and I had planned to um, preach on uh, turning ac- access into action. Um, but yesterday, the Lord just really changed my heart. I was reading in 1 Peter 4, and um, Paul was, ta- I mean Peter, not Paul, was talking about the suffering of a Christian. And he was talking about how as a Christian, you're going to suffer. And oh, at camp, I was talking to the students, I tried to ask all the students, you know, what's your next step when we get back to Anderson? Like, what do you want to do? What has God shown you that you need to do in order to follow him closer and to pursue him more? And um, I heard a lot of different answers, but um, they all had in common they needed accountability. And we talked a lot about what we needed to do once we got back, but we didn't spend a lot of time talking about what was going to happen to us once we got back. So I just wanted to spend some time this morning talking through what, can, what they expect from the world as a new believer to the ones who have just come to faith in Christ or just as, as believers in general, as we continue to grow, continue to walk, uh, continue to, to be sanctified by Christ, um, what, what the world is going to do to us and how the world is going to act uh, towards us. So we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 12. I just want 15 to 20 minutes of just as much attention and, and just be as vulnerable with yourself as you can. I don't want to take too long. I just want to um, to hear from the Lord. But we're not going to hear from Lord from the Lord if I'm doing all the talking. So let's dig into His Word together. If you would stand with me um, to to honor His Word. So starting in verse 12, reading through the end of the chapter, it says, "Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed." If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Really key into this verse. This is where we're going to spend most of our time. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Father, we give this time to you. God, we want you to speak. We don't want to hear from Tucker. God, we want to hear from you. Because in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, what I want to talk about this morning is, like I said, really that, that last verse as a whole. Um, and I just want to break down what Peter says and how Peter says it. So Peter is, um, I don't want to say divisive, but he's really strategic about how he makes that last statement. And as I was reading it yesterday, the Lord just really convicted me to the heart of, of what he was saying and the command that he was giving. So uh, I'll read the verse one more time. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So we're just going to try to break this down phrase by phrase, piece by piece. And, uh, and try to see what Peter was trying to say to us um, at this time. So the first statement that he makes is, therefore, because of what he said, he says, let those who suffer. And I just want to spend some time focusing on this. He says, let those who suffer. So the first question that comes to mind, if we're going to read this and take it for, for what it is, Peter was obviously writing to a people. He, he says, let those who suffer, and then he gives a command. So we have to know who those who are suffering are going to be in order to, to let those who are going to suffer hear the command that's trying to be given. Does that make sense? So this, this passage doesn't explicitly state it, but if we turn over to John 15, I feel like it gives us a really good explicit um, example or, or statement or showing of who the people that Peter is talking about are going to suffer are. So 
Go to John 15, if I could get there. All right, John 15, starting in verse 18. It says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So um, this passage is pretty explicit. Like I said, it explicitly states that those who follow Christ, all those that God has chosen and saved are going to be persecuted by the world. And it only makes sense because Jesus continues and he explains a servant's not greater than his master. So if they persecuted me, your master, they're going to persecute you, my servant, in my name. So as servants of Christ, we are going to be persecuted. And, and I'm not saying this to say that you should run towards persecution or try to, try to pick the worst crowd and just run to them so that you can be persecuted and killed. But I'm saying when persecution comes, don't flee from it. Don't run from it. Scripture actually says to embrace it, to rejoice in the face of it. In Acts chapter 5, the disciples were beaten and were, were, uh, their spines were literally showing, right? And, and they, get, they get out of, of this torment, this torture, and they praise God for what he's done. I just imagine uh, Peter and Paul standing there, and, and Peter looks at Paul's back and says, Bro, your spine's showing. And Paul's like, like trying to find a mirror and he's like praising the Lord for what, what for the, the suffering that they get to endure on behalf of God. And they, they count it as a gift that they get to suffer. That's so crazy to me. But we've been called to suffer for Christ's name. And Jesus says, if you aren't suffering for Christ's name, then there's a chance that you don't know Christ at all. So now that we have an understanding of those who are suffering, uh, we get a pretty explicit command from Peter. And, and Peter tells us to do something very specifically, which is the next part. It says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls. We're just going to stop right there and focus on uh, those who are entrusting their souls. What does this mean? Uh, Jacob talked about it for a second earlier, but uh, at camp, Drew Worsham gave this amazing analogy. He was a magician for 15 years and he traveled the country doing magic. And at the end of one of his sessions, he got a Rubik's Cube. I wish I could do it for you, but we'd probably be here for days. Uh, he got a Rubik's Cube and he put it behind his back and he just started like doing this motion and he started shaking it and he solved it. And earlier in the message, he said that that was impossible. Uh, so obviously it wasn't impossible. He had some sort of way to do it. But, but the bottom line was the point he was making was when we clapped and we all went crazy for what he did, he said, um, he said, y'all aren't clapping for that Rubik's Cube. You're clapping for me. You're giving glory to the person who was using it, who, who had his hands on it. And as we left, I started thinking and I was thinking about how uh, the reason we were clapping for him and not that Rubik's Cube was because the Rubik's Cube wasn't the one doing any of the work. The Rubik's Cube was in complete surrender to Drew. Um, I imagine if the, if the Rubik's Cube was fighting back and he was, do, he was you know, doing this Rubik's Cube behind his back and every move he did, the Rubik's Cube undid, he wouldn't have gotten anywhere. So in the same way in our walk with the Lord, we have to entrust our souls. We have to surrender our souls, give our lives as a living sacrifice to God um, in order to, uh, to for God to do the things that he wants to do in our lives. Romans chapter 12 uh, verse 1 puts it like this. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mer mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So so Peter says the first thing we do in the face of persecution, the first thing you do when you're suffering is to entrust your soul to surrender your life to your faithful creator. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. 
I'm talking about just day in, day out, surrendering yourself to him, to, that, to our faithful creator, which leads to the second point. Uh, the second statement he makes is, is entrust your souls. And he says, to a faithful creator. I love that description of God. I think in these four words, or really just these two words, we should find all of our confidence, all of our encouragement, and all of our motivation to entrust our souls to him because he is a faithful creator. Philippians 1, 6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he being God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Matthew 6 also talks about if he's if he feeds the birds of the air, like he's going to feed you. He cares about you. He loves you. In fact, if you want to try to grasp to the best of your ability how much God loves you, just look at the gospel. Right. We are fallen sinners who have completely don't deserve God. We're worthless trash. We're we're nothing apart from God. And we are apart from God. And because of his love for us, he sent his son, not because of us or what we would do, but in spite of us and what we would do because of his love for us. And his son died on a cross, rose from the grave, lived the perfect life so that we could believe in him and be brought back into unity with him. That's love. That's faithful. And that's the creator who, Paul, who Peter says to entrust ourselves to. Does that make sense? So we're to entrust ourselves to a faithful creator. And then after this, Peter jumps into what we're going to be doing, what is outwardly going to be shown because of this entrusting and who we're entrusting it to. He says, entrust your souls to a faithful creator. And he says, while doing good. And I wish I could stand before you and tell you and encourage you, go do good, go do as much as you can, you know, be a good person. But the bottom line is this, that none of us, not a single soul in this room can do any of the stuff that Peter is talking about. So it's kind of like a wrench thrown in everything I've been telling you of what needs to be done. Like we can't do it, right? It's only through Christ that this gets done. Um, the, the, the good news of the fact that we can't do it is it, should, it shouldn't hurt us. It shouldn't make us feel bad. It should comfort us, right? We can't do it, but we know a Savior who did, and we know a Savior who Scripture says is living inside of us, and if we just let surrender ourselves to Him and let Him take over, um, we, it will be done. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that right there is the whole essence of this verse in 1 Peter. Notice how Peter doesn't start with, yeah, you need to do good. And while you're doing good, and if you do good, then you can entrust yourself to the Lord. He says, entrust your souls to a faithful creator and then do good. And you'll do good. Uh, because, of, because of our trust in him and complete, absolute surrender to him. Luke 9.23 says to um, take up our cross daily and follow him. Take up your cross doesn't mean we're taking up a literal cross. It means we're putting, in order to take up the cross, we have to put down all of our cares. We have to put down all of our worries in order to pick up the cross and follow him. So we're called to allow Jesus, to let Jesus to live through us because he is in us. So while doing good, so we're, so we're to entrust our souls to a faithful, 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 good creator while we're doing good. So, so the essence of what I'm saying here is to the believers in the room, to those of, to those of you who know the Lord, um, you're going to, if you aren't already, you're going to experience persecution. It's going to happen. But because of the Lord and, and because of what Jesus said and because of our eternity, we have all of the encouragement and all the motivation to pursue him with everything we have. 
And, and to those of you who aren't experiencing persecution or you never have and, and you don't really see it coming in the future, that, that can mean one of two things. It can mean, one, you don't know the Lord because the servant of the master is going to be persecuted. If you're not a servant of the master, you're not going to be persecuted. Or two, you're not abiding in him and not letting him live through you. All right, so I have, a, I have a little analogy. Uh, David Platt did this um, at camp, but it was originally done by Francis Chan. And um, some of you have probably seen it, and, and it's good. It'll be a reminder, a good reminder to you. But to those of you who haven't, um, and, and this, is, this should be our encouragement. This is the essence of what Peter is saying here. So uh, th- this analogy, this rope um, is, is 60 feet long. And um, you see this little light piece of tape on the end. It's like three inches. You, you also, can y'all see it? Um, so this represents our life here on this earth, right? This one little piece of white, um, of white tape here represents our life on earth. And, and what Peter is saying here is to entrust our souls in the face of suffering to God so that um, while doing good because of this eternity. Verse 13 in the same passage in this first Peter chapter four, um, it says, uh, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So it says you're rejoicing in Christ's sufferings. You're rejoicing when you suffer with Christ because of the glory that's going to be revealed to you throughout all of this. Right. So if this is our life. If we're counting the cost and really measuring like what, why do I need to? Why is it important for me to suffer for Christ on this earth? Like what's the big deal? Why can't I just live it up? The reason that we say I'm going to suffer for Christ. The reason that um, they were. Uh, glad that their spines were showing. The reason that martyrs cry, uh, forgive them for they not know what they do in Scripture is because they see this and they also see all of this. And they see all of this as spending an eternity in glory with Christ, worshiping Him, loving Him. They see it as much more valuable than spending a little bit of time and pleasure right here. That's the whole essence of the Christian faith. It's called Christian hermeneutics. It's that we have a life here that we live and the reason that we're living this life, the, the, the point of living this life is so that we can have this life. That's why, that's why we as believers do radical things. That's why the world looks at believers. That's why the world looks at followers of Christ and doesn't understand, doesn't get why they're being so radical. I watched on this trip Judson and, and Jacob both. Um, Judson, we were talking through sin one night. and uh, Appreciate it. And Judson was just talking about some things that trigger him to temptation. And he said Instagram was one of those big things. And I watched as later that night, he's laying in the bed. I watched him delete Instagram off his phone in that instant. And I heard, I didn't watch, but Jacob told me, man, I, I deleted TikTok. It just wasn't, uh, it's, it's, it's an app that people like to, I don't know, it's something. But, um, and he said, I deleted it because it wasn't pushing me with Christ. And I can already tell that. And I'm just now beginning to follow him. That's because they were looking at that little white piece of rope in their hands. And they were looking at the other 60 feet of rope and they were realizing this isn't worth all, losing all of this for. Because scripture is very clear. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you can get your salvation and lose it and, and you need to work to keep having it. What I am saying is scripture is very, very clear that when we say we have faith but don't have works, we don't have faith. First John chapter 2 um, says this. I'll just start from the beginning of the chapter. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Christ. So praise God, we have an advocate for when we sin. But listen to what he says after this in uh, verse 3. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word 
In him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in which the same ways in which he walked. So what I'm not saying here is that we have to work our way to get the salvation or that once we've been saved by grace through faith, like don't get me wrong, that's the only way that we can lose it. What I am saying is when we truly have been saved in this way, uh, our life will begin to reflect it. Like just, just to think about what Jacob said, you know, he said he's been baptized before, but baptism, like that baptism, that, that saving faith that he thought he had when he was baptized didn't change him, didn't change his life. He didn't begin to live like Christ. But now as a believer and, and, and every believer in the room, we should be able to look at their life and see this person is walking in, which, in the same ways that which Jesus walked. And if they aren't, they aren't a believer. And the reason they're able to walk in the same ways that Jesus walked is because of that rope. Right. One an analogy David used when we were at camp to explain eternity. He said, imagine there's a there's a hawk and he's sitting on top of a mountain. And every year, say, say once every year, he goes down the mountain and he picks up one little grain of sand and takes it to the top of the mountain. And he does this all the time. He does this once a year until um, he's picked up every grain of sand on the earth. And then after that, after he's done that. He brings it all back one piece at a time. Once a year, he takes one piece and brings it back one at a time until he's, he's, he's filled the earth back up with sand. And then he said after that, once that's happened, we'll just now be getting into eternity. We'll just be getting into the rest of it. For, for, we can't even fathom how long eternity is. So, so I would just beg of you, plead of you this morning that um, if you are a believer and suffering comes, uh, Persevere and endure for the sake of the glory that will be revealed to us when we die. But if you aren't a believer or you aren't being persecuted, you don't see evidence of that life with Christ. I would just encourage you, um, give your life to him this morning. You don't have to be at the beach. There's not something special about Myrtle Beach that allowed these four people to be saved. There's something special about our God that allowed them to be saved. And, and like, like uh, Jada said, the analogy that Tabor gave, it's not like... It's like we're, we're stranded in the bottom of the ocean with nowhere. We're completely dead. Like scripture uses the word dead. Like we're dead. God pulls up, reaches down, pulls us up and breathes air into our lungs. That's not of us. So, so I would just encourage you this morning as a believer, God, uh, lay it all down. Surrender yourself to him. Give it completely to him. And then as you go from here, when persecution comes, when suffering comes, when you're taking that next step in your walk with Christ and the world says, no, you're not. Say, yes, I am. And give it just just continue to surrender to him and do what he's called you to do. And if there's any unbeliever in the room, I just beg, I pray that you would be willing to to say, I don't know the Lord. And I'm not going to be ashamed of that because I promise you there are believers all around you. Who, who, if you come and, and say, I need to know Jesus, if you say that, they will all rise in celebration for you.